my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a fantastic week, or rather had a great weekend, I should say. Um, I'm back in action for my fishing trip, a good time up in the UP, um, and a lot to get to, as always. I was joined by uh, my good friend Ian Hayworth. Always a great time talking to Ian. Uh, We talked about the Washington Post melting down in real time on Twitter. Just great stuff from the Washington Post, as always. Uh, We talked about gun-grabbing Democrats and how they actually lost the gun control debate years ago and just haven't figured it out yet. uh, and a lot more. I think you guys will enjoy it. Before we get to Ian, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an iTunes user, please take literally five seconds uh, to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. That helps us out. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right. Without further ado, the great Ian Hayworth. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Ian Hayworth. Ian, how you been, man? Good morning, Brady. I've been doing great. How have you been? I've been absolutely fantastic. Just got home from a fishing trip. Uh, I was off the grid for a while, so a lot to catch up on this morning. But um, let's start with something that doesn't really matter. Um, there's obviously a lot of very depressing and terrifying <laughs> things happening across the globe right now. But um, th- this doesn't really matter, but I think it's worth mentioning anyway. Um I have to start with the glorious nonsense coming from the corporate press, because I think it is a great depiction of of who journalists really are. Um, So I'll I'll catch everybody up for everybody who missed it. Not everybody's in this like really bizarre political bubble where we care about things like this. But bear with me for (laughs) bear with me briefly. The entire staff of The Washington Post is currently trying to get each other fired on Twitter. And so let me go back and explain what happened. And there's been several days of this, by the way. We're on like day four of this. So a, a WAPO writer named Dave Weigel retweeted a dad joke. Like it was, it was just like a dad joke. It was something along the lines of like, you know, because everybody's talking about Pride Month or, or whatever. And he's like, every woman is bi, either sexual or polar. You know, like just like a, a just a cheap throwaway dad joke. And then another Washington Post writer, a silly woman named Felicia Sanmez, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, who's actually their chief political reporter, which is just hilarious. But anyway, Felicia Sanmez pretends to be deeply offended by the dad joke and decided to try to get Dave Weigel fired on Twitter. And then other WAPO writers joined in, and they're all attacking each other. They're still attacking, like three days later. They're all going ham at each other on Twitter. And this is journalism in America. I think this is a perfect representation of what journalists think that their jobs are to get people fired over jokes like they honestly think, like this is like not covering ukraine or like and you know and it doesn't matter it's just you know joke police they believe that's that's a cornerstone of their profession and it's like obviously any normal person watching this nonsense is like imagine being so self-obsessed that you truly believe your colleagues should be fired if they tweet some innocuous joke that you find offensive and it, i mean imagine being offend, offended by this to begin with i mean it's like I don't know. I, I love it when journalists expose themselves as just the children that they are. Ian, these people are just rich, white, ridiculous, petulant babies. I mean, it's like they, complete narcissists, 
complete self-obsession. It's it's just wonderful to watch. It is wonderful, especially when they, as you said, just get shown to be exactly what they are. Ultimately, I think a lot of journalists now just exist entirely on Twitter. Like Twitter is their real world. They don't really exist in the real world where things like Ukraine or inflation are happening. It's purely about Twitter. And a lot of them want to be the masters of what is allowed and isn't allowed. They all seem to be living with this strange sense of arrogance where they are uniquely able to define what is hate speech and what isn't. But the problem is that they all disagree with each other. So when we have these kind of blow ups, one person thinks that they should control what's online and the other person thinks they should control what's online and then they just eat each other. And then meanwhile, you and I are just tweeting ridiculous things daily and just watching it all happen. I mean, just also, that's a funny joke. Like, we should just back up and say that was a funny joke. And so in terms of what a Washington Post journalist has retweeted in recent times, that's quite up there in terms of quality. So maybe they're moving in the right direction, but a lot of them aren't going to go along with it for too long. I mean, the joke was that women are crazy, and this woman responds by being a complete psychopath. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like women, women are either bipolar or bisexual, and then she just responds completely rationally by trying to have him kicked off online <laughs> society for all time. It's like, come on. <laughs> so the Washington Post executive editor, Sally Busby, issued a memo. I think this was last night, for st- begging staff to stop attacking each other. Like, children, please, please stop. You (laughs) tiny little stupid children, please stop attacking each other on Twitter. And so Felicia Sanmez completely ignores it, tags Sally, but her employers on Twitter asking to, like, punish her opponents or whatever, her colleagues. And it's like, dude, these people. And honestly, like, if you're a liberal female journalist, you're probably unfireable. You know what I mean? Like, they're just going to claim sexism. I mean, look at Taylor Lorenz, also with the Washington Post. She got busted for lying again. I mean, claimed a, this is after doxing and harassing the libs of TikTok lady. And she uh, she wanted to, It was I, I didn't read the piece, but it was she was slandering a couple YouTubers for something. Maybe they're Republicans or something. And she said that she reached out to both of them for comment, and she didn't. She just completely lied. And it's like, you know, I, I mean, she's as much of a journalist as I am the queen of, the queen of England. You know, I mean, like these people are not journalists, but is it just like, I don't know. I, I don't think like the Washington Post or any of these places can really fire a liberal woman like they're on fire. They're untouchable. I mean, like, you know, Barry Weiss, like she's a liberal, but she like stepped out of line a little bit, said a couple conservative things. And then they New York Times fired her. But like I, 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 these people like uh, Taylor Lorenz, I don't think I, there's nothing they can do to actually get canned. I don't think. I think there's one thing is if they ever spoke out against a man who thinks he's a woman, then it would be, you know, lights out. But as long as there aren't men around who are pretending to be women, then they're top of the tree. And I think with anything on the left, often it's just, are you serving the right people? Are you serving the cause? Are you doing ultimately what the left is a broad sense wants? That's why Joe Biden is still around. They still accept him because he's really bending the knee and saying whatever needs to be said. He's saying all the ridiculous trans stuff. He's saying all the ridiculous racial stuff, all the anti-police stuff. He's suddenly pro-abortion after being anti-abortion his entire life. It's just all about bending the knee. And so when people like Taylor Lorenz, especially, who's arguably the worst journalist in America, when she just churns out crappy article after crappy article, she's, on a very, very general sense, achieving the goals of the left. So they just let her do it. But if she ever stepped out of line and criticized someone on the left with crappy journalism, they would dig her entire history out. She would never work again. It's just all about bending the knee to the right people. Yeah. 
That's absolutely correct. I oh, one just a random side note. I just had to bring this up because I saw like a somebody who must be a journalist in the wild yesterday driving home from Northern Michigan. I saw <laughs> there, it was dude. It was like it was the best man. I saw like some little crappy car with about ten thousand bumper stickers on the back. I'm like, oh boy, like this is this is a journal. This is a journalist right here, and uh, <laughs> and it was it was some it was either like a very butch looking lesbian or maybe a trans person. I'm not sure what gender, but uh. I, you couldn't see because there were like thousands of tiny bumper stickers, you know, and then but the one that really just caught my eye was just men crossed out. <laughs> that seems threatening. <laughs> just anti-men. I was like, I was driving back from a fishing trip with my dad, and we just lost it, man. We're like, they just, I don't, I don't get it. It's like they were bragging about indiscriminately hating half of the world's population. And I guess not indiscriminately. That's as discriminate as it gets. But, like, just <laughs> bragging about hating half of the global population for absolutely no reason. I'm like, that person either is a journalist or will grow up to be a journalist. But what would have been wonderful is if they had a flat tire and they were stuck at the side <laughs> of the road. And you just pulled over, looked at the bump sticker, went, nope, and just kept on driving. Got back in the car. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre, man. It's so bizarre, these people. And... So I bring up all this Washington Post stuff, not because it matters, really, um, but because I, the American people must learn to completely disregard corporate journalists. And I mean that. And, and I, like, I'm not saying that to, to be cute. I mean, like, these are the people that bring you the news. Look at their mm-hmm. behavior. <laughs> like, look at the behavior of the people who claim to bring you the news. Are they the kind of people who you trust to bring you accurate information? Are they the kind of people that you would trust with anything? Like these, these crazy people attacking each other over a dad joke. I mean, it's like this is like the chief political reporter for the Washington Post, Felicia Sanmez. Would you try? She's clearly a narcissistic psychopath. It's like, are, would you trust this person with anything in your life? Would you trust this person to bring you the news? And so it's like I, I bring this up because I need people to like I know on the right, a lot of conservatives and libertarians, they've been red pilled on the corporate press for a long time. You know, maybe it was Kavanaugh that did it. Maybe it was, you know, is any of any of these things. But like the more these people are discredited, the better shot we have as a republic of surviving. Well, they just still have a grip on reality because there are a lot of people who aren't that politically involved, aren't that politically interested and get the small snippets of information they need from these few institutions that have this sort of generational levels of trust that just aren't deserved anymore. There's a lot of people hiding behind the famous names just to be ridiculous liars online. Like the fact that, again, Taylor Lorenz is a Washington Post journalist. She's not good enough to be a random blogger that's just spewing out lies on purpose. No. It's just all these people hiding behind the famous name and getting away with it. And I think people have got to realize that the name isn't what's trustworthy. It's the people writing behind that name. And you're only as good as the journalists who work for you right now. And the people who work for places like New York Times and Washington Post are just garbage. That's just it. Yeah. They're toddlers. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. One, one more Washington Post uh, note. I have to... Uh, this is just phenomenal from the uh, opinion page this morning. This is from columnist uh, Matt Bai, I think. B-A-I. Bai. Yeah, something like that. Um, this is just this headline, man. It's absolutely fantastic. Quote, why losing the midterms isn't the worst thing for Democrats. <laughs> so it's like, I just it's a plan it. after all. I love it. Like, I've been, I don't frequent the Washington Post website, but I had to today. And that one just caught my it's out of the corner of my eye, you know. I'm like, oh, boy. They're really, they're really getting ahead of this one. And he goes on to say, well, his explanation is it's, it's good if Republicans win in November because Republicans are so evil that, you know, that if Mitch McConnell's 
majority leader, then everybody will want to vote for Joe Biden in 2024. Like, that was like his galaxy brain take. But I'm like, never change Washington Post. I mean, just a banner week for the Washington Post. What a, what, are they the worst, like, legacy media, corporate press outlet? Are they, have they eclipsed the New York Times or CNN? Honestly, I think so. I think in recent years, a lot of the nonsense I've seen has been from the Washington Post. But on that, on that headline, it's, one, it's hilarious because they think that's sort of really, really high-level insight of just <laughs> yes. yes. He thought there with a whiteboard all night, you know, reading some really old leather-bound books and yes. political yes. strategy, and came up with this nugget of information that a child could come up with of you're going to lose and make it look like it was your idea in the first place. Like again, toddlers do this on the playground. Like I didn't want that ba- that toy anyway. <laughs> it's just like okay, that's that's the love of the Democratic Party. But also, like yes, that's going to be their strategy because they know they're going to lose, and so now it's just all about making it like. One, it was their decision. And two, oh, two things haven't been done. Biden has been hamstrung by Congress. It's just it's the same old story that both sides use. It's just so boring, honestly. Just boring. It is it is funny, man. It's like this guy, I don't know who he is, but Matt Pye. It's you know, you're right. It's like he, he locked himself in his office all weekend, man, with a bottle of brandy and a pound of weed and just <laughs> leather bound books and an old chair and 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 just cooked up this brainchild as if it's like the most profound piece of political commentary ever. It is just funny, man, how these people you can tell this their every ounce of their writing is just seeping with arrogance and just they're, they're just simpletons, man. They're these simple minded charlatans who don't know anything, but they it's because they were hired by these, you know, respect, mm-hmm. you know, once respected names like The Washington Post. They like they believe it affords them some level of intelligence or something. Or it's like some level of intellect is built into the job or something when maybe even the reverse is closer to reality. Well, it's, I think we've spoken about this a few times is it's. It's the strange change in terms of class in journalism. So more historically, it used to be almost like a blue collar role in that you you grew from kind of local news up until national. And a journalist was someone who just didn't necessarily go through the traditional educational streams of, you know, multiple university degrees, that kind of thing. They were someone who would just want to dig for the truth and tenaciously would do so. And now it's become this thing where you go from bachelor's to master's, sometimes you do a couple of master's just while you're deciding what you want to do with your life at very expensive institutions. Then you go straight from that to, oh, I'm a journalist now. And because of these institutions, because you have this piece of paper of one form or another, you think you are uniquely qualified over the common folk to really know what's true and to know what's important. So even if you're not reporting on what's true, you know the greater truth that you want to push forward. And it's kind of the same problem in politics. It's just these people who think they're above everyone else who they're elitists in in an ideological form, and they're just using the institution they've happened upon to leverage what they see as their control. It really is quite disgusting. I think people need to wake up to it pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And I, I repeat it all the time, but Michael Malice has the great line, you know, the war will be won when uh, your average corporate journalist is viewed by the American people with the same level of disdain as a big tobacco executive. Mm-hmm. And I think that clocks it pretty well, <laughs> you know. I Honestly, I think... Uh, you know, looking at all the wars and stuff, big tobacco executives might have less blood on their hands than places like the New York Times. But um, let, let's talk about the, the gun control stuff, because that's what the Democrats are, are going hard on right now. They're, they're screaming from the rooftops about how they're coming for our guns. Um, 
Which, I mean, great. At least they can't use the no one is coming for your guns lines anymore. <laughs> they're openly <laughs> they're openly bragging about how they're coming for our guns. But, I mean, obviously you're going to get a few of the authoritarian Republicans, you know, Lindsey Graham, you know, your Romneys, your Cornyns of the world. That'll probably go along with whatever, like, evil gun control package the left comes up with. Um, it won't get 60 votes in the Senate. So it doesn't really matter. But like it, I've, I've said this a million times on the podcast, and the left still doesn't realize what predicament they're in. They lost the gun control debate in summer 2020, two years ago, June 2020, because they lost black people. Okay, African-Americans saw leftist mobs destroying their cities, and they all went out and armed themselves. In 2020, 44% of first-time gun buyers were black, even though black Americans are about 12.8% of the American population. Okay, it's over. Okay, it's over. The most reliable Democrat voting bloc went out and bought all the guns. Like, it is over. Like, I don't know why these people can't read the writing on the wall. Well, because a lot of it, none of this is actually about guns or gun violence. I think that's the key thing to understand if you're someone who's kind of just starting to think about this issue, is that the Democrats don't care for a second about actual gun violence. Because if they did, they would be focusing first at home, where the vast majority of gun violence happens, which is in inner cities, often black on black crime. Like young black men are the majority of victims of gun violence. That that's just stunning. There's such a small proportion young black men. I think between the ages of 18 and 35, that is a tiny proportion of the country. And yet they are three percent of the country or something. Yeah. And they are the majority. Sorry, my microphone just moved. They are the majority of victims of gun violence. That is a stunning statistic. And yet what the Democrats want to do is talk about horrendous, but also statistically rare instances, because none of this is about solving the problem. It's just about grabbing control. They want to grab control by leveraging fear. And the mass, a lot of their voters aren't necessarily scared of inner city violence because they live in an area that that doesn't happen. But the problem is that the Democrats, as you say, have ignored one key thing is that a lot of people do live in these areas where in 2020, the Democrats were far too quick just to abandon them to the mob. And it turns out when you prove that the police aren't willing to do anything, whether it be in Valde, Texas, or a lot of these downtown cities that just let people riot, people are going to take their own safety into their own hands as they have a full right to do so. And so I think you hit the nail on the head. They're going to wake up some pretty unfortunate realities for them when they realize that the gun debate is over. Yeah. Yeah. And it is profoundly evil. You know, that the same people that allowed leftist mobs to destroy American cities are trying to disarm innocent people. I mean, that is like some, that is some, something you'd expect in, you know, ancient history. Mm -hmm. Like that's like something one of the bad Roman empires would have done, right? (laughs) Let street gangs, you know, you know, destroy his political opponents in the Senate and then try to disarm, you know, like that's like, some real dictator stuff right there. It is like a profoundly evil position. You know, we're going to let Black Lives Matter and IT and Antifa mur- literally slaughter people in the streets at will, and we're going to make it impossible for people to defend themselves against leftist mobs. I mean, that is a profoundly wicked uh, stance to have. I mean, it's, it's like uh, the fact that more people don't realize how, how purely evil that is. I mean, that is a, a truly evil position to hold. Well, it's also completely in line with every other society on the planet except for the United States, effectively. Uh, The Second Amendment is a profound piece of legislation in that it gives you the right to defend yourself that really no other country has. Countries who had some form of um, gun access are rushing to remove them. I mean, just look what Canada did just recently. Trudeau and his latest authoritarian move is basically stopping people from accessing handguns ever again. The fact is that the United States is the 
really the only mainstream place in the United States and the in the uh, world, sorry, where you have the right to defend yourself. But the right to defend yourself also doesn't necessarily just cover defending yourself against a mob at your door. It's defending yourself against tyranny. And when you have a government, specifically the Democratic Party, who are hungry for tyranny, that is what they hunger. They hunger control and power and to change culture at its very root. If you have an armed populace, that is effectively impossible. You cannot take children from their parents if the parents are armed. You cannot force them to learn certain things. You cannot force them to work in certain industries. You can't force them to move. All of these things, if you have an armed populace, you simply cannot do. And that's what they really know. They need to remove that element of power from the people so they can do what they really want to do, which is what the governments in the UK, Canada, other areas in Europe, Australia, they can do now because they do not have an armed populace. And so I, I hope people dig their heels in on this issue because without this issue, everything else will fall. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I have to assume the Second Amendment has already saved millions, maybe even tens of millions of lives. I mean, I uh, I don't think Woodrow Wilson was any less wicked of a man um, than Joseph Stalin. Do you? I mean, I, you, I, I don't think I, FDR, too. I mean, he was a despicable human being, locked up every uh, Japanese-American in concentration camps. I mean, I don't think somebody like FD, FDR or somebody like Wilson, I mean, are they less evil than the Castros? Are they less evil than a, a Stalin or a Lenin? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I if if the American public wasn't heavily armed, I mean, you could have seen the genocide here uh, at some point in the early to mid 20th century. I truly believe that. So um, I, I don't think the American people even appreciate um, what what benefit being armed has already. I mean, like we'll never know, right? It's like you can't pr- prove that you know false, you know, true or false. But like, I think it's it's very easy to assume that. Our guns have already saved millions or tens of millions of innocent women and children. Well, even on even setting aside like the inherent evil that's in every human being, especially people who seek power, that I think it almost certainly has saved a lot of lives. It saves lives on a daily basis. Like people look at that, how many lives um, AR-15s and similar guns take, but there's immeasurably more um, lives that are saved by guns. I wrote an article about this on my Substack last week of just the number of guns and guns that are used to save someone's life on a yearly basis is astounding. They never talk about that. They never talk about the impact of taking these guns away from law-abiding people. They're not going to be taken away from the people who aren't following the laws because that's impossible to do. They're not following the laws already. And so just whether you're talking about almost a theoretical level of a dictatorship or if you're talking about on the ground, the fact is the guns save lives. That's just the fact, and the Democrats do not like that fact. 100%. Yeah, that's 100% correct. Um, and the thing is, and this is like a, a white pill moment. Anytime I, I read about this or write about it, like, it, obviously I'm a libertarian. I, you know, I'm always predicting doom and gloom. Uh, there's a million things that bother <laughs> me about the state of the republic. Um, but, man, states have been moving. I mean, it, like, we've made more progress uh, in terms of individual liberty and property rights on the gun issue than any other issue in American life. I mean, states are moving hard to the right on guns. Ten years ago, only Vermont and Alaska had constitutional carry. I mean, something like a million and a half people had constitutional carry. Now it's the law of the land in 25 states. Well north of 100 million Americans can now carry a gun without permission from the state. So, I mean, it's it's just funny that <laughs> that the left is, is pushing so hard right now. It's like, guys, we're moving in the opposite direction. Like we are, you know, we are making people more free, not less, on guns across the country. So, uh, I mean, the Democrats can scream and yell all they want. Um, they can throw their little hissy fit, but 
we don't have to care. <laughs> we don't have to listen to yeah. them because it's not going to make a difference. We are we are freeing the American people. We are allowing the American people to arm themselves, and there's not a darn thing the Democrats can do about it. Well, also look at the places that have the high le- highest levels of gun violence, and they're not areas where you're allowed to carry a weapon. Like Chicago, for example, we talked so much in recent weeks about the horrendous mass shootings that happened. But over Memorial Day, over 50 people died in Chicago or were shot in Chicago. No one even reported on it. And do you think gun control needs to be enacted in Chicago? Chicago already has a ton of gun control laws. Whereas if you're in places that have constitutional carry, people simply know the risks. If you're going to attack someone and you have a choice between attacking someone who might have a gun and attacking someone who you know does not, it's such an obvious choice. And again, the Democrats just ignore that because they do not care about protecting their own people. They care about protecting themselves and then claiming to want to protect people as they take their freedoms away. Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked about the constitutional carry issue and how, you know, I was obviously thrilled uh, earlier this year when Ohio and Mike DeWine signed it into law. Um, You know, I I can't think of another area where the right has been, has, has made up so much ground in such a short period of time. You know, I really believe, um, and I talked about this with Eric Brake, who's a former state legislator. Um, it's like, I, I there's there's a million of these issues where like Republicans at the state level can follow in the footsteps of all of these states, 25 states who have passed constitutional carry. Real work can't, you know, real work is not going to get done in Congress. You know, as much as I I love guys like I don't know, like a Thomas Massey or somebody, I highly, <laughs> it's highly unlikely any of a. Uh, old libertarian Thomas Massey's crazy ideas are going to make it through Congress. But you can make it happen on the state level. And mm-hmm. there's a there's a million issues where I wish more Republicans would focus. Because, they really, dude, it took a lot of work and a lot of circling of the wagons, a lot of reaching across the aisle. But they got, in 10 years, man, 25 states have passed permitless gun carry. Um, if, we, we, if we can do that on guns, which might be one, it's one of the most contentious issues in American life, I don't see why... Uh, state and local Republicans can't do that with a million other issues as well. Well, it also just brings the conversation to the forefront in a way that the left really don't want it. They want gun owners to feel like a minority where they're just these evil people hoarding guns for some kind of sexual fetish. I mean, that's literally what a lot of Democrats say. Like, why would you need this gun? You know, you're just pretending to be a man. You want this murder. You want this blood on your hands. And I think the fact that so many states are moving in the opposite direction shows that there is, are people who are unafraid to counter that. And I think that's a n- crucial and necessary part of this debate is you need people to stand up and not just defend their right to hold these guns, but defend their choice to. Like, I, I don't know if you saw that thread recently where someone just was posting pictures of families with their gun collections, you know, like posing with their with their kids or whatever. Oh, right, and, right, yeah. And there's like, imagine thinking that's a bad thing. Like all these law abiding people who have gun collections and never hurt a person in their lives. Like that's what we need. We, we need a celebration of law abiding and safe gun ownership. We need a celebration of people respecting guns for what they are, which is very dangerous weapons. I think the vast majority of people are on that side of things. And we need to give each of these people a voice so that gun ownership in America returns to what it should be, which is just part of daily life where people are respectful and safe because most people are no <laughs> the mass of, the vast majority of people are not committing these horror horrible crimes which is why they are statistically so rare still if you think about this the number of guns in the united states so i i'm delighted that so many states are moving in this direction and i think more are still to come we just need to keep pushing
Yeah, absolutely. And those kids in those photos were the literally the safest children on planet Earth. Yep. <laughs> Nothing, nothing's happening to those kids. Absolutely not. You know, they they know how to shoot. They know how to defend themselves, and um, and God bless them. You know, and like but before we wrap it up, you know, as a gun owner and hunter and you know gun enthusiast, I, I guess I could I would describe myself as, like. <laughs> Hearing Democrats talk about guns is just like the most cringe <laughs> nonsense. I mean, it's like these people have no concept of what a gun is, how a gun works. They don't know anything about firearms. From Joe Biden's, you know, a nine millimeter will blow your lungs out of your body, whatever that means. <laughs> I don't even, what does that, what does that mean? But anyway, like he says, a nine millimeter can blow the lungs out of your body. It said nobody needs, you know, an AR-15 because deer aren't wearing Kevlar vests. Even though, like, I mean, I have a bunch of guns and my least powerful firearm is my AR-15. Okay. Like I shoot 55 grain ramming two, two, three Remington, which it was not an ethical round to use for like big game or even medium sized game hunting. Like I would never, like it's not, you're not, you're only allowed to use two, two, three in a handful of States to hunt game anyway. But, um, I mean, even if you were like, I wouldn't shoot anything bigger than like a raccoon or a coyote with it. It's just not powerful enough. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I shoot deer with 450 Bushmaster, 250 grain bullets. Okay, if you're talking about like, the difference between 223 Remington and what is actually ethical to hunt deer with, so it's like, I mean, these people, it's the the prepackaged ridiculous talking points. They have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, they're just like they're insulting their own audience's intelligence, right? They're just assuming like the Democratic base doesn't know anything about guns. But man, it's pathetic. You'd think at some point by the year the the year 2022. A handful of Democrats would have at least like learned correct lingo regarding guns, but they don't. Like they they're completely clueless. Well, I think they're clueless because they don't need to be clued. I think the people they're appealing to are people who still think gun ownership is crazy. A lot of people who live in urban areas still don't understand why you would need a gun, let alone something like an AR rifle. Because of course, um, an AR-15 is actually a fantastic home def- um, home defense. Weapon. Absolutely. Yes. It's far easier to use than a handgun. You have three points of contact rather than two. It's more powerful because a nine millimeter isn't actually that powerful. If you've got like a very big man coming towards you, for example, it's unlikely you actually be able to stop them in time. An AR is a much more effective weapon in that situation. But they want to present them as weapons of war because it seems scary. Like you've seen lots of images of these black guns you see in movies. Oh, well, that must be more dangerous. There are wooden rifles that are far more dangerous and powerful than an AR. So none of it is, is based in reality. It's all about fear-mongering and trying to really slander Americans who own these guns legally as evil, like it's their responsibility. Because then maybe we won't be looking at other areas of culpability for these mass shootings. For example, law enforcement who are routinely failing, whether it be at the FBI who have seen multiple red flags or police departments who aren't willing to go in and actually do their job. And so a lot of this is just a distraction by leveraging people's ignorance when it comes to firearms and slandering half of Americans. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely correct. And it's, it's funny, I, I had a Twitter debate with a bunch of people a few weeks ago about how I believe the AR is the perfect home defense weapon. That's my home defense weapon. Um, you know, and people were debating, oh, a handgun, you know, nothing beats a handgun for home defense. And a lot of people were, you know, shotgun supporters for home defense. Um, and I, I just totally disagree. I mean, one, like, let's say I'm not home, you know, my wife is... Five two, a hundred pounds. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, she's not going to grab the twenty eight inch barrel Mossberg five hundred and start shooting slugs at, at people. You know what I mean? That's not. 
it's not good at all. And you know, my AR is a 16-inch barrel. I have a 1x red dot. Obviously, three points of contact. It's you know, it's just the perfect 30-round magazine. A little bit more oomph than a nine millimeter, obviously. Um, so yeah, per AR-15. Everybody, every single person listening to this, unless you are criminally insane, uh, should immediately go out and buy an AR-15 if you haven't already, or buy another one. It's always it's always a good day, Ian, to buy an AR-15. I mean, two hands, two AR-15s, do the Arnold Schwarzenegger look. That would That's, really upset the Democrats. It's a good look. I'm going to have to put on some muscle to pull off that look. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would just have the same fearsome effect looking at old Brady Leonard holding two ARs. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just swing them <laughs> upwards to even hold them. <laughs> Ian, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. We'll do it again soon. Where can everybody follow you online, uh, read your stuff, keep in touch, all that good stuff? Yeah, thanks as always for having me. You can find me online, um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H. And then uh, please subscribe to my Substack. It's where I'm doing all my writing now. So I re- write at least one commentary piece a day. So please follow me over there. Everybody check out the Substack. Everybody follow Ian. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.